A lot of people are worrying today. We just had some floods and tornadoes and hurricane season started yesterday. And so there are a lot of people in our land who's worried about what's next. Some people are worried about getting old too. I wonder if we have anybody here like that. People worried about old age, getting old. Um, at 120 years old, Mrs. Wilson was not at all worried when she was asked at her birthday celebration to describe a vision of the future. You would think that she'd be worried considering how old she was and probably thinking that she probably didn't have much time left. But her reply was just two words, very brief. And then there are those who are also worried about the next job interview, especially considering how the last job ended. Uh, a TV weather reporter was uh, being interviewed for another weather job. She had a job where her, her forecasts were never, ever accurate. And so they fired her. And so she was in an interview for another weather job. But she wasn't worried at all when they asked her why she left the last job. She simply replied, the climate just didn't agree with me. And then there are those who are worried about the economy. Anybody here worried about the economy? There's recession and inflation and depression. All that's good stuff, right? Guess what? My hairline is in recession. <laughs> My waistline is in inflation. And some would think that would be a cause for depression, right? <laughs> but do I look worried? I want you to watch this video. Yo, P. Day ready. It's the new swag, baby. Woke up this morning and I told myself, not gonna worry about what I cannot help. People dying innocently, hate is spreading rapidly. I'm not talking apathy, but some things God's gotta work. Whoa, he's gotta work. Yeah, he's gotta work. Whoa, he's gotta work. Yeah, check it out. Why? God's got it. God's got it. God's got it. Yes, he does. God's got it. I look around and my heart is a little heavy. The money's fading fast and I'm looking for a blessing. People looking for jobs, no one looking for God. I know that you heard, but in time, God is really gonna work.
I'm telling you what I know. God's got it. Don't worry. God's working. God's got it. God's got your back. Listen to our illustrious Pastor Wenley. Boring his words, well, motto. <laughs> In the bulletin, you would see it's amazing to see how some of God's people react when troubles spring up in their lives, especially since God has already told us to expect them because they're coming. In fact, when we consider all of God's promises and the daily provisions that he provides for each of us, why are we worrying? Folks will say, what are you worrying for? Our reaction when trouble springs up, when troubles come, worry. Listen to what the psalmist David says. Psalm 34, 19. Many are the afflictions of the righteous. In other words, righteous people face not a few, but many problems and difficulties and trials. But if that's all that the verse said, then there's every reason for us to be worried, right? But the verse goes on. Don't you like that word, but? But the Lord delivers him out of some of them. How much? All of them. In other words, God comes to the rescue every single time. Amen? Nothing misses him. He's always there. God's always working. So there's no need to be worried. Then Jesus said in, in John 16, 33. Look at that. These things I have spoken to you so that in me you may have what? Peace. In the world you have what? Tribulation. Take courage. I have overcome the world. But what are the these things that Jesus is talking about here? In John 16. Well, in John 14, verses 27 to 29, we have an idea of what these, these things are that he's talking about. He says, peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Do not let your heart be troubled, nor let it be fearful. You heard that I said to you, I go away, and I will come to you if you love me. You want to rejoice because I go to the Father. For the Father is greater than I. Now, and get this. Now I have told you before it happens. So that when it happens, you may believe. And then in John chapter 16, the first four verses, he says, These things I have spoken to you so that you may be kept from stumbling. They will make you outcast from the synagogue, but the hour is coming for everyone who kills you to think he is offering service to God. There's those two words again. These things they will do because they have not known the Father or me. But these things I have spoken to you so that when the hour comes, here's it again, you may remember that I told you of them. These things I did not say to you at the beginning because I was with you. And so what these verses clearly spell out here is that no trouble should catch us by surprise. No trouble should catch us off God. Because God always gives us a heads up. Always. So when we consider such promises and who's making them, why do we worry? Still. Our text for the day is just two verses. Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 and 7. 
And this is the New Living Translation. Don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need. And thank him for all he has done. Verse 7. Then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything you can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ. Well, let's look at the first part of that verse. He says, don't worry about anything. Now, we have a tendency to be very selective about what we pray about. Can you imagine living in a world where you don't have to worry about anything? Can you imagine that? Yeah. <laughs> you can imagine. The reason why that sounds impossible, not to her though. The reason why that sounds impossible is because we all have some kind of worries, don't we? If it's not worrying about something in the home, we're, we're worrying about something on the job, probably can't get those reports out or the dead, meet the deadline, or, or we're worrying about something in school, probably that bully. But there's always something that causes us to worry. But what does Paul mean about anything? He says, don't worry about anything. Well, he means everything. Everything that comes up in the course of everyday life, which includes all of those uncertainties that the psalmist mentions in those many afflictions. That's what he's talking about. But what are the consequences of worrying? Sometimes we don't think about that. We get so caught up in the dilemma, the problem, the difficulty, the challenge, that we don't think about the consequences of worrying. Well, worry can have a number of negative effects on our lives in many, many ways. Here's a couple of them. Danger, damage our health. People can develop ulcers because of worrying. Upset our productivity. You go on the man's job and you can't work because you can't concentrate because you're too worried about something. Have a harmful impact on the way we treat other people. Causes us to develop bad and abusive and rude attitudes. Can't get along with people. And then diminish our ability to trust God. We doubt God's ability to do exceedingly abundantly above more than we can ask, think, or imagine. That's what worry does. And that's, that's only a small fraction of some of the things that worry does to, when we indulge in it. Now, how many consequences of worry are you experiencing today? Maybe one of those four. Probably some others that we didn't even mention that you're experiencing right now. Proverbs 12.25 says, Worry weighs a person down. You believe that? For those of you who have been worrying, you know that from experience. Worry weighs a person down. And Jesus asks another interesting question in Mark, Matthew 6.27. Can all your worries add a single moment to your life? In other words, what good is it to worry anyway? How much good is it doing you to worry about the problems that you have? But then Jesus gives another interesting caution about worrying in Luke chapter 21, verse 34. He says, watch out. Don't let your hearts be dulled by carousing and drunkenness and by, get this, the worries of this life. Now, what's interesting here is that Jesus associates worrying with the negative impact that carousing and drunkenness causes on the heart. See that? So you may not be a, a carousing or a drunkard, but you're in the same category of them as them if you worry. That's what he's saying. But then what are some of the things that people worry about? 
We could be here all day talking about that. But just a few of them. Some people worry about the daily necessities. Know what Jesus says in Matthew 6.25. That is why I tell you not to worry about everyday life. Whether you have enough food or drink or enough clothes to wear. Isn't life more than food and your body more than clothing? Notice, we should not worry about everyday life, according to Jesus. Enough food to eat, enough clothes to wear. Because of the consequences of worrying is so bad or so damaging, is what Jesus is saying. He tells us not to worry about what God has already promised to supply. God has already promised that you're going to have this stuff. The daily necessities, I'm going to give them to you. You don't have to worry about them. But yet we still worry, don't we? Don't worry. God's working. You believe that? Well, some people worried about justice too. There are those who worry that people will probably never get any kind of justice in our day and time. When you listen to the news, you almost want to, you almost want to believe that. But Job, Job 36, 17, he says, but you are obsessed with whether the godless will be judged. Don't worry. Judgment and justice will be upheld. Now, the way that we see things going today, a lot of people don't believe that. But it will happen. Instead of worrying about justice, think about what Jesus had to say. Matthew 6, 5, 6. God blesses those who hunger and thirst for justice, for they will be satisfied. Don't worry about it. God's taking care of it. God's working on it. Like the song video says, God's got it. All of those who hunger and thirst for justice are promised that they're going to receive satisfaction. God's going to see to that. But then, what exactly does it mean to hunger and thirst for justice? Well, it means having a passion. A passion for justice or righteousness. In our own lives, first of all, by craving to see honesty, integrity, and fairness in society, in addition to looking for practical holiness in the church. That's what it means to thirst for justice and to hunger for justice. Don't worry. God's working. And then there are those of us who worry about bad people. Get all kinds of bars in our homes and alarms and, and the cars, the, light, the lightning strike and all the alarms in the neighborhood go off. Ever heard that? And you got to keep running out there, click, click, click. Not a lightning strike, alarm goes off again. Because we're worried about bad people. Bad people are all over the place. Psalm 37 one says, don't worry about the wicked or envy those who do wrong. For like grass, they soon fade away. Like spring flowers, they soon wither. And if you're paying any attention to the news, you'll see that that is happening. Most of the people who are dying are who? Bad people, right? Wicked people. Caught up in a, in a life of crime and wickedness. And as you live, so shall you die. Don't worry about them. God's going to take care of them. But here's how we take risks. Uh, when we worry. We lie in bed all night. Thinking over and over and over and over again. About how bad somebody has treated us. You ever done that? Mm-hmm. Had a bad day on the job. An employee just got under your skin. Rubbed you the wrong way. And that's what you do. You go to bed at night. You think about all the things that person said to you. All the way that they treated you. And then we think about all the hurtful things that they said and did. And you're compounding it now. You're just adding on to it. And then we think of how we responded to them. And how we should have been more insulting. We get the, 
coulda, shoulda, woulda, regret syndrome. Boy, if I had done this, if I had said that, I could have made them hurt more, as much as they were making me hurt by the things that they did or said. And guess what? While all this is going on in your head, some other stuff is going on down below. The digestive juices in your stomach is starting to turn into sulfuric acid. And you toss and turn all night trying to get one little piece of sleep. And guess what? The person who started all this, who caused all of this, who got you in all this mess, they're sleeping like a baby. <laughs> Sound asleep. They ain't worried about a thing. And you all bent out of shape, can't sleep. But on top of that, to add insult to injury, all that worrying that you're doing is not accomplishing a single thing for good. It ain't doing nothing for you. You're not accomplishing anything by it. And so our challenge is to put the brakes on worrying. Because God's working. God's got it. David says in Psalm 37, 7, Be still in the presence of the Lord and wait patiently for him to act. Sometimes we're so impatient in waiting on God to do what he's got to do. Or what he knows he's got to do. We want God to hurry up. But you can't rush God. His timing is perfect. He's always right on time. He's never late. So, so, so Simon says, be patient and wait for God to act. Notice he says, don't worry about evil people who prosper or fret. Do you fret? You mean, what does it mean to fret? Get vexed. Don't worry, don't fret, don't get vexed about the wicked schemes that they're doing. When it comes to bad people, don't worry. God's working. And then, of course, there are those who worry about health. And this is probably one of the major things that people worry about today. But many fail to realize that worrying about health issues only make the health issues worse. You realize that? You already got health problems. You're already having difficulties. And then you're compounding that by worrying about it, and you get more problems. Ecclesiastes 11.10. So refuse to worry and keep your body healthy. See, we never associate good health with worrying. But he said, when you don't worry, you stay in good health. Exodus 15, 26, Moses talking to the children of Israel. God was giving him some instructions. And he said, listen to what he said. He said, if you listen carefully to the voice of the Lord your God and do what is right, in his sight, obeying his commands and keeping all his decrees, then I will not make you suffer any of the diseases I said on the Egyptians, for I am the Lord who heals. Here we have a prescription from the great physician himself. Notice what he says. First of all, listen carefully to what he says. The word says, if you listen carefully to the voice of the Lord your God, do exactly what he tells us to do. Do what is right in his sight. Obey his instructions. Obeying his commands. Trust his good judgment, keeping all of his decrees. And so regarding health, don't worry. God's working. And of course, there are those who worry about money. Whether people have money or not, they still worry about it. Don't they? Both the haves and the have-nots are worried about it. The haves worrying about those who are stealing from them, and the have-nots worrying about where they're going to get it from. The cliche, easy come, easy go, often associated with money, highlight the uncertainty and why money cannot and should not be trusted. But yet still, many people put all of their trust in the almighty dollar, they call it. Proverbs eleven twenty eight. 
says, trust in your money and down you go. Where are you putting your trust? Instead of trusting in money, our trust should be in the living God who richly provides all of the good things, of course, that money can buy sometimes for us to enjoy this life. 1 Timothy 6.17 Teach those who are rich in this world not to be proud and not to trust in their money which is so unreliable their trust should be in God who richly gives us all we need for our enjoyment. Tell them to use their money to do good. They should be rich in good works and generous to those in need. Always being ready to build some bigger barns and store them all up. That's what he says. Always being ready to do what? Share. With who? With those who don't have. The less fortunate. Now because, the, because Ephesus was a rich city... More than likely, the, the believers in the Ephesian church were members who were well off. And so Paul saw some potential problems here. And so he advised Timothy to teach, uh, teach them about the responsibility that comes along with wealth. He says, whenever people have a lot of money, there's some responsibilities that go along with that. He said, I want you to teach them that. Now, if these teachings are, were, are accepted, and if they are applied then worry really could be eliminated. And so if we are blessed with a lot of money, if God has made you what we call well off, here's how we can apply this teaching to get rid of the worry that some people are experiencing about money. First of all, thank God for it. Thank him for it. Because he's the one who provided it. Made it possible for you to have it. And then don't be proud that you have it. Some people are so proud of what they have. They talk about being self-made men and self-made women. Don't be proud that you have it. And then don't trust in it. Remember that God's still there. He's the one that we're going to be trusting in. Don't trust in your money. And then use it to do good things. All of this is coming out of what Paul tells Timothy to teach the people now. Use it to do some good stuff. Some good things. Things that are worthwhile. That are beneficial to, to, to others. To your society, to your community. To those around you. And then he says be rich in not just the money you have, but in good works with the money you have. And then he says, be generous by sharing it willingly. Don't be a tight wad, penny pincher. Fellow was in a restaurant one day, and uh, he was an uh, Englishman, was in a restaurant having lunch, and uh, a fly landed on his bowl and dipped into his soup. And he caught the fly, and he said, spit it out. <laughs> That's what you call a tight wide. <laughs> Regardless of how much money we have, our way of life should demonstrate that we are only God-appointed managers of it, and it is God who actually controls it. And so when it comes to money, don't worry. God's working. He's working. Now, some people will say, well, you know, if I'm not supposed to worry, what am I supposed to do when things happen and it bothers me? Well, there is such a thing as genuine concern. And there's a difference between worry and genuine concern. Worry immobilizes us. It paralyzes us. It stops us in our tracks. And we can't do anything. That's what worry does. 
Genuine concern mobilizes us. It moves us into action to do something about it. And so when we worry, we do nothing. When we are concerned, we do something. So that's the difference. Now we can determine whether we, can, whether we are worrying or whether we are just genuinely concerned. And I trust that all of us would be in that category of being genuinely concerned as opposed to worrying. So if genuine concern moves us to act, what action do we take? What do we do? Well, that brings us back to the text. Philippians 4, 6. Instead, pray about everything. Now, we are very selective, some of us, about what we pray for, aren't we? There's some things that we'll never pray for or pray about. But there's some other things we'll always pray about. I don't know how many of you have seen that, seen that, um, that Geico commercial with the guy uh, who was trying to get a, one of those chainsaws from the guy who's juggling the chainsaws. Well, some of us, are just, he says, give me one, give me one. I got it, I got it, give me one. Some of us are just like that when it comes to praying about everything. There's some things we say, you know, God, don't worry about it, I got it, I got it. But God says, pray about everything. Paul says the action we should take is turning our worries into prayers. Peter tells us in 1 Peter 5, 7, give all your worries and cares to God, for he cares about you. But what do we do? We hold on to them, don't we? By holding on to and carrying all of our worries by ourselves, we're actually doing what some of the old folks do. We're showing God better than we could tell him. That we don't trust him with our life. That's what we're doing. We're not going to tell him that. We're not going to tell God, listen, I don't trust you with my life. We're just going to show him better than we can tell him. By not praying about everything. Not carrying all of our worries to him. Not being concerned enough that God is able to do exceedingly abundantly all that we can ask. So what is needed? What is needed is humility to recognize that God is really concerned about us, genuinely concerned about everything in our lives. And that's why he says, bring everything, pray about everything. This involves admitting our needs. Sometimes we think that God could care less about the mess and the sinfulness that we get ourselves in because of our own stupidity. Sometimes we think like that. And so we're not going to pray. Lord, I get myself in this mess. Fellow says, Lord, I haven't bothered you for 25 years, and if you get me out of this mess, I wouldn't bother you for another 25. And that's the way we believe. That's what we do sometimes. Lord, I, I caused this problem. So I, I don't need to bring my problems to you. I caused this, so I'll deal with it. I'll grin and bear it. But he says, pray about everything. When we go to God in true repentance, instead of just shedding those little crocodile tears that we do sometimes, he will accept the burden of all of our struggles. So here's an application for us then. Giving God all our worries requires action. Instead of submitting to the circumstances Submit to the God who is sovereign and controls all of the circumstances. Can you do that? I ain't nothing. Can we do that? Can you submit to the God who is in charge, who controls the circumstances, rather than submitting to the circumstances? So the next time someone says something, how you doing? Well, okay, under the circumstances. Submit to the one who controls the circumstances. Mark eleven twenty four. I tell you, you can pray for anything, and if you believe that you received it, it will be yours. Some folks like this. The name it, claim it folks love this verse. Because they see it as a blank check. They can get every, all that their heart desires. Doesn't matter whether it's, it's God's will or not. God's going to give it to me because he said, if I pray for it and I believe it, he's going to give it. But when our wants 
are not realized. We wonder, well, what went wrong? God didn't tell me the truth. He said, if I believe it and I pray, I'll get it. And it, I did, and it didn't happen. So what did I do wrong? Well, we failed to comply with the conditions attached. They always, remember those little fine prints that we see, those things that we sign? We never read those fine prints, do we? Well, there's a condition attached. Verse 25. But when you are praying, first forgive anyone who, are holding a, who you are holding a grudge against. Boy, that never comes into the factor, does it? When we, when we read that first part of that verse, verse 24, we don't think about no grudge we're holding about it against anyone, do we? All we know is God giving us a blank check in verse 24, and I want to claim it. God says, forgive anyone you have a grudge against so that your heavenly Father will forgive you. We like to hear that we can have everything, anything. But have you ever noticed how Jesus prayed during his earthly ministry? Jesus prayed with God's interest in mind. And our prayers are often motivated by our own interests and desires. What we want, not what we need, what we want. There's nothing wrong with expressing our desires when we pray. But we should want what God's will is more than what our will is. So here's another application for us. When we pray, we should check ourselves. Check yourself. To see if your prayers focus on God's interests or your interests. Many times we don't do that. Do you want to worry less? Then pray more. Whenever you start to worry, stop and pray. So we said instead of worrying, we can pray about not some things, but everything. But then, what should be the dialogue of this prayer? What are we supposed to say? Back to the text. Tell God what you need. Yes, 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 we know. God is omniscient. He knows everything. So why should we have to tell him? He already knows. How many, how many times have we heard that? How many times have we said that? We've done that. Well, the reason why we pray is because God is so delighted. He is so excited when we tell him what we want because he wants us to show that we are dependent on him by asking him specifically for what we need. And think about the, what happens as a result of that. We tell, God already knows, but we tell him what we need. God provides it. We in turn praise him because he's answered our prayer. And in the final analysis, God gets the glory, which he wants in the, in the, in the end analysis anyway. The Bible tells us whatever we do, do all for the glory of God. So we see why it's important to tell God what we need. Philippians 4, 19. And this same God who takes care of me will supply all your needs from his glorious riches, which have been given to us in Christ Jesus. See, God can be trusted all the time to meet our needs. Regardless of what our need is on earth, God can constantly supply it, including the guts or the intestinal fortitude that we need to face all of those trials and difficulties that life throws at us from time to time that causes us to worry. Anything we need in heaven, God promises to supply. Now, while what many of us want most is to get rid of those aches and pains and those suffering, that's what we want, right? A lot of us want that. Because we want to feel good all the time. It's important that we remember there's a difference between our wants and our needs. While we may not always get everything that we want, our mindset and our desires can change, allowing us to accept God's provision as a result of trusting in Christ and embracing his love and power to live for him and him alone. 2 Corinthians 9.8 And God will graciously provide all you need. Then you will always have everything you need and plenty left over to share with others. 
worry about having enough for our own needs could cause us to hesitate about giving to God as well as sharing with others. You know, we reason, you know, well, I only got this amount. You know, what if I, if I give this away, then I'm not going to have anything left for me. And so worrying about what we, what we have and what we might not have and what might happen will cause us to hesitate in giving to God generously and meeting the needs of others. We have an insurance that God is quite capable of meeting all the needs that we will ever encounter in our brief pilgrimage on this earth. So the question is, what do we need that God cannot provide for? Is there anything? Is there anything that we have a need for that God cannot provide? Psalm 24:1. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. The world and all its people belong to him. Again, is there anything that God can't provide? The psalmist Ethan declares God, declares to God in Psalm 89, 11, the heavens are yours, the earth is yours, everything in the world is yours. You created it all. Again, is there anything that you need that God cannot provide? 1 Corinthians 10, 26, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. Paul is quoting David here in the New Testament. And so when we become too worried about our needs, we can't enjoy life. We short-circuit the time that God has given us to enjoy the life that he's given us. Everything belongs to God. He can give us whatever we need to enjoy this life, fully and satisfactory. But then that brings us to another point in our text, and thank him for all he has done. We pray about everything. We tell God what we need. But never forget to thank him for what he provides. Sometimes we get so excited and all wrapped up in the answers to prayer that we forget to go back to God and say, oh, by the way, thanks. Remember those ten lepers? Ungratefulness is a sin that God's people had, has a reputation for going all the way back to the children of Israel. But we have a, a, we have a, a, a story in the New Testament in Luke 17 that tells us about ten men. Ten. All ten of them were healed. And only one came back to say thanks. And sometimes that's an expression of our own lives. We, we get so excited about God answering our prayer. We even go and brag about it. We go we even praise God for what God has done. But we forget to go back to God and say, Oh, you know, Lord, I, I thank you so much for what you've done. Here are some simple expressions of gratitude. By David, Psalm 118, 21. I thank you for answering my prayer and giving me victory. Simple, straightforward expression of thanks. You don't have to go into any long, drawn-out dialogue. Simple. Psalm 59, 57, 9. I will thank you, Lord, among all the people. I will sing your praises among the nations. Thanks. We can acknowledge God's ultimate control. Over all the affairs of life by praising him for all of the good gifts that he bestows upon us. And then finally, God's therapy for worry is seen in verse 7. Peace. Then you will receive God's peace which exceeds anything you can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. According to what Jesus says here, God's peace is different from the world's peace. Starkly different. John 14, 27, Jesus says, I am leaving you with a gift. Peace of mind and heart. And the peace I give is a gift the world cannot give. So don't be troubled or afraid. What kind of peace does God give? He gives a, a deep and lasting peace. Unlike the absence of conflict. That, which, which defines the world peace. Or the peace of the world. God's peace is secure assurance. In every single circumstance we find ourselves in. So there's no need to 
be fearful or worry about the present or future when we have God's peace. Because it moves into our hearts and it controls the hostile forces like sin, fear, uncertainty, and doubt, and all those other forces that are warring within us. And it replaces conflict with comfort. And isn't that what we always want? We always want comfort, don't we? Well, that's what God's peace does. The world's peace is found in optimistic thinking. It's found in lack of conflict and good feelings. God's peace comes from knowing that God is in control, that God is sovereign, that God's got it, that God's working. Being guaranteed that our citizenship is in God's kingdom. And so whenever God calls, we're not going up feet first because we're holding on to all the stuff we got down here. We know we are guaranteed that we are citizens of God's kingdom. Knowing that our future is set. It's secure. Knowing that we can have victory over sin because greater is he who is in us than he that is in the world. And then Isaiah tells us in 26, chapter 26, verse 3, you will keep in perfect peace all who trust in you, all whose thoughts are fixed on you. While there's absolutely no way that we can avoid the troubles and the difficulties and the trials and the hardships that are part of this world, what we can do is fix our thoughts on God. And as a result, experience the perfect peace in the midst of all kinds of chaos. And I don't know if you noticed, but it's getting worse. It's getting worse. Some things are happening today that hasn't happened before. People were saying this week, some places were flooded that never flooded before. That tells us things are getting worse. By keeping our minds focused on God and his word, we develop stability. In other words, when all hell broke loose all around us, we're not upset. We're not bent out of shape. Because we have God's unchanging love and his almighty power to support us. Always. So here's an application we can take with us today. When worry raises his ugly head. If you're serious about wanting real peace, then keep your thoughts on God. And your trust in God. Not in money or anybody else, but in God. Letting only God's peace protect your heart and your mind against worry. So that challenge as you go into the week, this coming week, as hurricane season continues to proceed, don't worry. God's working. Amen? Let's pray. Our Father and God, we've given us so many assurances in your word that gives us no reason to worry. We pray, O oh Lord, that we may take you seriously. Because when we worry, it says we don't take you seriously. We take you for a joke. Help us not to be guilty of that. In the coming days and weeks, when challenges come into our lives, and when those that we have been experiencing continue, remind us that we don't need to worry about them. We have an alternative. Instead of worrying, we can pray. And we cannot be selective in our praying, but we can pray about everything. And help us to be mindful that we ought to be grateful when you answer our prayers. And be assured of the peace that is inexpressible, that we ourselves cannot fully comprehend. Bless us as we go forth this week. Help us to be mindful. Your spirit promises to remind us 
of what we have studied and what we have heard. And we pray, O Lord, that you will indeed uh, remind us and uh, we will depend upon him for that reminder as we go through the course of this week. This we pray with grateful hearts. In Jesus' name and all God's people said, 